Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. We are a recovery podcast where I, a recovering addict and alcoholic, talk to other recovering addicts and alcoholics about recovery. If you haven't heard the other two episodes, because this is part three, go back to the previous episodes, one and two. In this episode, Max talks about when she started to see in color again, and it's so special to me, and it will be to you too, because it shows you there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there is hope, there is a solution, and we have it. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. With this newfound sense of healthiness, I found a weight management program and I lost 90 pounds. 90 pounds? I lost 90 pounds. And I felt amazing. And I started walking everywhere and riding a bike and doing exercise and watching my food. I learned how to grocery shop correctly. I learned how to manage my my food intake and not just eat pizza every night and crap. And I learned a whole different level of self-care. I couldn't have done that before because, again, I was just so sedentary and just so stuck. Uh So I became committed to my well-being, my health, because I had to get, you know, the, the lesson there is, no matter how many meetings I was going to, it didn't matter because I had to deal with my depression. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you're physically sick, no matter how many meetings you go to, you're not going to get well. You know, uh-huh. if you've got a cold, a meeting in the steps is not going to give you a reprieve from right. your cold. Yeah. You know, or if you have cancer. Yeah. You know, or if you have something else, I've got to get my physical health taken care of first and foremost. And then everything else comes into place. Because if I'm not physically well, no matter how many meetings, no matter what service I'm doing, no matter how many times I talk to my sponsor, none of that's going to matter until I physically get well. So I very much had to do like a massive step three with my doctors. I had to turn my will and life over to them and Uh I had to trust them. And thank goodness I found really good doctors that didn't just dismiss me as an overweight, middle-aged Jewish lady with depression and alcoholism. Because I went to many doctors who did. They said, well, you're in menopause. And, well, you just have depression. And, well, you just have alcoholism. Or, well, you're just fat. And then I would just be dismissed. It's like, well, I'm going to kill myself. It's like, well, that's and, not yeah, acceptable. That's, that's, and they're like, well, we can just put 5150. I'm like, that's not going to work either. Ugh. So I, I finally found doctors who really heard me and the the commitment I had to really living a life that was really centered around being well. I want to fight to be well. And again, I'm a good patient because I know how to do recovery, right? We know how to do recovery. It's one day at a time. It is an instant. There's a lot of stuff you have to do in between and you just have to show up. Yeah. So I know how to do that. So whether it's depression or knee replacement, or I also got kidney stones last year. No matter what it is, I know what to do. It's the same recipe. Recovery is recovery. Right. Yeah, it's funny because the side effects you you were talking about from the electric shock therapy is like me on any Tuesday. Yeah. Like time confuses me. So I'm like, well, that wouldn't bother me at all. I would be no different. I never know how to make decisions or anything like that. But I also get what you're saying about getting on the other side of your door is that it it takes, like, actual effort to be an alcoholic with depression. Like, you have to work at it every every day. day. Every day. And again, 
that's the, my tongue in cheek about I'm as you know I'm really f- active on Facebook. When I post, that's why I always say happening now because that's kind of my tip of the hat or a big middle finger to depression. Right. Like, look, depression, look, alcoholism, look what I'm doing right now. Right. I'm riding my bike 10 miles through Golden Gate Park. That's right. happening right now instead of laying in my bed for three days just ordering pizza. Right. You know, look how beautiful this flower is. Look, I found a house that matches my shirt. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. that's the joy of my day of just getting on the other side of my front door looking at the colors that I can see in front of me because I know that I'm in remission. I'm in remission with my depression and I'm in remission with my alcoholism. Neither of those two things are gone. Right. And sometimes that scares me. And I talk to my sponsor and my therapist about that because I've got a little bit of PTSD with that, right? So if I'm feeling fatigued or if I'm kind of feeling a little foggy, I'm always looking over my shoulder and I say, "Uh uh-oh, is it back? Uh Uh-oh. And now I, I've learned the difference because, again, it's been about five years, four or five years since the ECT, and I'm able to talk with, like I said, my doctors, my, my sponsor. I've now been able to discern the difference between just being tired and true blue depression. Right. You know, I know the difference. Depression lasts for a very long time, and I have that suicidal idolation if uh. that's happening. I don't have that today. So today I can just be tired. Yeah. You know, and I, and I know the difference, but it used to scare me. It's like, uh-oh, you know, the brain fog is back. Or, uh-oh, I'm really tired today. It's back. You yeah. know, it's like the boogeyman. Yeah, because once you go through it, it's oh. so, and then you come out of it, you're like, that was awful. It's horrible. So if you think you're going back, you're going back to that place. Right. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And my sponsor called me out on it last year because I had a lot of surgeries and with that, again, recovery takes time and all that yeah. anesthesia takes time. So I wasn't bouncing back because I had had so many different procedures. And she had called me out and said, you know, five out of seven conversations we've had, you've said you're afraid depression is coming back. Have you talked to your doctors about how you're feeling? And I didn't realize that it was that frequent that I was saying, uh-oh, I think it's back. So I did tell my doctors, you know, and I said that I'm feeling really fatigued. And what they did was a series of blood tests, and they found out that I was low on iron. That's an easy fix. Wow. Or I was low on vitamin D. That's a really easy fix. It isn't a catastrophe. Right. But again, I have to tell my doctors the symptoms of what's going on, which is a massive third step, right? I've got to turn my will over to my doctors and say, I'm just not feeling 100%. Not not every single day, but for a long period of time. If I'm not feeling good for a week or two, I let the doctor know because I want to feel good all the time. And yeah. a week or two is just too disruptive. Yeah, that's no good. That's no good. Yeah. But a day or two, no big deal. I now know I take a nap and I watch what I'm eating. I don't eat crap. I try not to eat crap because that's just going to make me sleepy. It's going to not going to make me feel very good. Yeah. So, you know, and again, I still have to do the maintenance of recovery. I go to meetings. I go to like two or three meetings a week still. I talk to my sponsor every week still. You know, I have sponsees. I mean, it's still the same recipes of everything. But now, again, I've got to manage the weight management stuff and the depression. And some days I just kind of, you know, I'll blow that off. As long as I don't drink... I feel like I've got a fighting chance, yeah. right? Yes, as long as you don't drink. Right. Absolutely. That's right. A, a friend of mine, um, 
She's great because she's in recovery and she's studying to be a life coach now. So she gives me the greatest advice. Oh, <laughs> she says perfect. the greatest For thing. free even. Yeah, for free. <laughs> That's the beauty of recovery. But uh, I, I went through a depression and it was situational. Yeah. But I had helped my depression become worse than situational by not going to meetings. Yeah. I got busy and I didn't need to go to meetings, you know. And it's like I was going to maybe one a week. And then I would skip one one week, you know, for really great reasons. Like it's a dark out. You right. know what right. I like? That's right. I'm cold. Yeah, you know, that's just right. stupid stuff. That's right. But so like, I, and so I, I got away from my program and got away from the stuff that makes me happy. Yeah. And then life came at me really hard and I got really depressed. And it just, I remember when I first got sober, my, my doctor who helped me detox had 32 years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, I had cirrhosis at the time and jaundice. And he was telling me, you're, you have to exercise for 45 minutes a day. And, like, I had been in good shape all my life, and I'm like, no, that sounds awful. Like, I don't want to go outside, you know? But then I kind of, like, got addicted to it, like, going out and walking and listening to music, you know? And, like, now I like to go to the gym. It's my reprieve yeah. from being at home. Yeah. And, like, I feel strong. Right. But I have to—on days that I don't do it, I feel it. Yep. And I start to get sad. Like, it's so many—it's such a combination of things that I have to take to be okay. That's right. You know? And I've learned, you know, because I do 60 minutes of walking almost every day, and that's part of my weight management program. Walking's and really good for walking's you, Walking's great, yeah. but I kind of liken that to my step 11, right? Oh, when I'm yeah. walking, that's walking like— meditation. That's a walking meditation because I pay attention. Like I said, I look at the colors of things, right? right. I smell things. I, I tried walking with music— and it distracts me. I like to hear the sounds of what's going on around me. You know, I, I like to hear the birds and I like to hear the traffic and I like to hear the wind blowing through the trees. I was so physically disabled before I couldn't walk down the block. So today I'm able to walk five miles back and forth to work. And every step is a, is a gift. Every right. step is a joy. And I pay attention to that. So I'm doing step 11 when I'm walking. You know, I'm, I'm kind of doing some meditation as I'm walking. So I try to integrate the steps into everything I do because it's the only thing that I know really works for me. Right. I mean, I, I tried, I, I did like a spiritual quest, you know, when, when I first moved out here because it's California, you uh-huh, know, and, of course. and there was band camp and witch camp and drum camp. Uh-huh. And, you know, I went to all those camps and, yeah. you know, just kind of trying to find, you know, I became a Buddhist and, you know, I went to the Shambhala center. I went to all these different things but I still kept comparing everything that I was hearing to the steps. So I found a group of people at the Zen Center that is Buddhist and 12-step kind of a combined group, like uh, meditation and recovery group. And I really got embedded into that teaching, those teachings for a long time. And if, if again, if you're looking, if you're seeking, there's a, a great meeting every Monday. There's women's meetings once a month. There's um, retreats a couple There's of times a, recover- a year. There's uh, like a 12-step meeting 12 step. at the Zen Center yep. every Monday? Every Monday night. I did not know yeah. that. And oh. then on Thursdays, the first Thursday of the month, there's at the, um, I think it's in the Castro, there's a women's, um, it's for any 12-step person. So it's if, if you're in Al-Anon, AA, DA, whatever, any right. A. Right, any um, A. But the, what's cool is they... They combine the teachings of the 12 step with Buddhism. And that makes sense to me, right? Yeah. So there's so many parallels to that. So I found great solace in Buddhist recovery. So I call myself a Jubu. Yeah, I know. You know? All, all Jubus. So I, I know. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Right. So because again, I, I can't do that whole punishing God thing, right? 
Because like I said earlier, that's my default. That's that, that's that 12-year-old kid that gets scared and thinks that God is punishing me. I don't hear that kind of message when I'm in the Buddhist center. You know, I don't hear those kinds of teachings at all. I hear that, you know, their life is hard and, and there's suffering and, you know, life can be challenging. But because they interweave the steps with that, I have a solution. So when I go to meetings, I have to hear a solution. I can't listen to 30 minutes of a drunkologue. I've got to right. hear the what happened and the what it's like now solution part because that's my life today. I want to know what you're deal- doing to deal with physical pain, to deal with loneliness, to deal with, with depression. I want to know what, what solutions you're, you're using in your life to get well. How are you fighting to get well today? Yeah. You know, that's what I go to meetings to hear. And I hear that when I listen to the Buddhist and 12-step recovery. It's a gentle, it's a gentle way to learn about spirituality for me. I like that because I'm definitely like I'm, I'm a big Elvis fan, so I love that the the title of this latest movie on HBO is The Seeker. It was his quest for spirituality because he wore you know a necklace with a cross, a star of David, an Ankh, like he had oh, every religious symbol. And somebody once said to him, like, "Why do you wear all of those? Don't they conflict?" And he goes, "I'd hate to not in, not get into heaven on a technicality." <laughs> that's hysterical, which is so funny. But he was just seeking from yep. everywhere, yep. and that's where I feel like I'm. At right now, yeah, because I feel like just a lack of a connection with God. Like my, I pray every night, but my prayers are so rote, yeah. That it's like, yeah. what am I even doing? I don't even That's know right. what I just said, you That's know. Right. Like, yeah, and then it's like lately because I know um, the Saint Francis prayer is what they usually read at like meditation meetings. So yeah. I've just been reading that, you yeah. know, and then going, but the, it's not enough. Like, yeah. I need a deeper connection, and I think like the Buddhism version of recovery looks really interesting. If you to me. ever want to go, let me know because, like I said, that's for me. That's a motivator to show up, right? If yeah, I'm meeting yeah. somebody there, I mean, that's again the beauty of recovery is I will meet you and go, as opposed to it's too dark, it's too cold, yes. I don't want, or it's raining, I don't want to go because I can talk myself out of going to anything. Me right? too. Yeah. So if I know that I'm going to meet a friend somewhere, I'm definitely going to show up because that's what I was taught. Yeah. And and like I said, the Zen Center has been a really great place for me. I just took a friend about a month ago. There was a, a retreat, an all-day Sunday retreat that was just a holiday prep. And it was it was fabulous. It was just what I needed to kind of amp me up for the holidays. Because again, I can get stuck in I'm alone. I'm Jewish. Christmas is confusing. <laughs> what do I? What am I doing here? And right. you know, and and I don't feel that way right now. You yeah. know, I don't feel lonely or sad right now. I feel like I'm taking the time off of work. I'm being quiet. I don't have to run around. There's no massive expectations of what I didn't get or mm-hmm. what I didn't do or how I didn't do this. It's I'm just letting myself just be. Right. And rest, you know, and it's a great place to be. And I've not always felt that way over the holidays. You know, there were times when I was using where I, I think I even got married because I was so lonely on New Year's. <laughs> I mean, it's just so pathetic. You know, it's like, I'm lonely, you're lonely, let's get married. Like, right. who are you? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just, I did the stupidest things out of loneliness and, and the expectations around the holidays. So, yeah. you know, that that's part of the practice, right? It's like, I don't have to fill, oop, I don't have to fill up my time and I have to make myself feel like I'm not missing out on something. Right. And because again, it's to me, it's just, 
how comfortable am I alone? You know, how comfortable am I in my own skin? There was a time in recovery where I couldn't stand being alone. I couldn't stand it. I had to, had to have people around me all the time. I didn't know what to do with myself because I didn't like being with myself. Wow. Now I'm really comfortable. And that came from learning how to meditate. And that came from silent retreats. And that came from, again, years of practice and, you know, being comfortable with myself where it's like now I, I use that time to refuel uh-huh. and re-energize myself as opposed to isolating. Right. You know, now it's just like, I need to recharge a little bit. I need some quiet time for yeah. me. And that's what walking does for me. Yeah, I was t- I was talking to somebody else who also works in radio about this because she posted that she's an ambivert, and I'd never heard that what word. Is it? It's like somebody who is the life of the party, and you go out and you're talking and you're doing stuff, and you're everybody's friend, and then you have to go home and plug yourself in like a battery, or you'll yeah. burn out. Yeah, like so, it's like you you're like that, but then you need twelve hours completely off the clock. Yeah, you know, like it's like I go home, it's like people. You know, people are like, "What do you? What do you and your husband do?" I'm like, "We're quiet." <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, when we I we don't talk. <laughs> right. I know. You know, when there was a time when I was teaching every day, and it, I've taught. You know, what my master's is in education, and I've taught adults and kids. And there was a time where, and teaching is a real like put it out there like six hours a day. Right. Right. It's exhausting mentally, emotionally, and I would just go home and just like take a bath yeah I mean you just can't keep talking so yeah. I couldn't even stand my own voice anymore right you know so it again I get that and that's the joy of what I've learned of where I am in recovery is the balance right my quest right now is to find that thin gray line between the black and white thinking you know the balance between being way out there over the top or way in there completely isolated it's to find the balance where I can say you know what I'd love to attend that. Or, you know what? I think I'm going to stay home and just rest tonight and not feel good or bad. It just is. Right. So the goal every day is to find that balance in the gray instead of I'm bad today. I'm good today. You know, it, it's not like that anymore. And that's part of the practice. Yeah. Is not beating myself up by the things that I didn't do, you know, or that I did too much of. It's like, you know what? I did what I did, and now I need to just kind of rest a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and then that's also kind of like acceptance a little bit. Is yeah. that, like, you did what you did. There's nothing you can do to undo it. That's like, right. Just be. That's right. Just be. And again, you know, I, I like I said earlier, the focus of a lot of the work that I'm doing with my recovery is steps six and seven. And those are the steps that I can't do by myself. And, you know, when I was in rehab, there was, like, one brochure that they gave us, you know, for every step. And step six and seven, it was the Hazleton materials. Uh-huh. And step six and seven at the time was called the Forgotten Steps. Wow. And it was combined. And it was like the thinnest little brochure of all of them. And so I just kind of tossed it. So literally only until like the last five to eight years did I really start looking deeply at step six and seven. And there's a book called Drop the Rock, which I really recommend. <sighs> That oh, is a fabulous book about six and seven. I know there's meetings called that. I That's did right. not know there was a book there's called a book that. about that. I am going to order that as yeah. soon as I get home. Yeah, it's a great book because, again, I find that that's where I'm sitting most of the time in long-term, my long-term sobriety is, you know, the character defects that kind of get in my way. That includes the thinking. That includes the actions, you know, not saving money. I mean, it's all the stupid stuff yeah. that hurts me. 
right? So what I'm trying to learn is getting rid of that ego, getting myself into humility, being able to tell you quite honestly on the air, like, yes, I've had depression. Yes, I've had ECT. This is how I how I dealt with it in hopes not to shame myself, but to let other people know that I survived and I'm doing amazing today. Not every day, but I'm still here. And, you know, what, what's really nice is people in meetings, if they have a sponsee or a friend that's struggling with depression, they grab me and they ask me to call them. And I'm able to talk to them and say, I get it. I uh-huh. know where you're at and I can be available to you if you need to talk. So that's once again how my experience can benefit somebody else. It wasn't, I didn't go to why me? I didn't go to, you know, I'm being punished. I went to, when, when I was going through the depression and I got on the other side, I knew that one day my experience would benefit others. And I've talked to a dozen people who are looking at medically resistant depression and they're scared because their doctor has suggested ECT and what do they do? Yeah. And then we talk. And I share my story, and they're not as afraid, hopefully. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's always seeing somebody else go through it, and then you know you can do it. That's right. Possibly. Possibly. You know, unless hopefully. you're one of those people who's like, well, it won't work for me. Well, yeah, you know? <laughs> and I've seen that a lot with, you know, I mean, we see that with recovery every oh, yeah. day. It's like, I can't not drink, or right. I can't lose weight, or I can't, you know, do whatever. And there are some people who can't. And yeah. it, the statistics for us to recover are really, really grim. I think... I think it's one in 35 recover. Wow. I mean, it's, it's a death sentence. Yeah. You know, I mean, being an alcoholic with depression is basically, it's just a question of time. Uh-huh. You know, so our disease says, well, I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. You know, and, and I say, screw you, disease. I want to. Yeah. I don't want to die today. Right. You know, because again, drinking and drugging is, is a suicide attempt. To yeah. Me. And I, I don't, I might have the most boring day on earth where it's just mind numbing and nothing's going on, but I don't want to die today. I might be the, the loneliest I've been, but I, I absolutely, it's not, I've never been, I've never been lonely in recovery the way I was lonely when I was using Yeah, that despair that like, I don't, cause I, I isolated myself from everybody. I mean, there was nobody that would allow me in their house anymore. At the end of my using, I would come to your house with a bag of drugs and I'd pound on your door at one o'clock and I'd say, let me in, I have drugs. <laughs> and I'd hear you on the other side of the drawer, but you wouldn't let me in because I would wreck your house. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, so I spilled bong water. That's just the price of partying with me. And, oh, I'm sorry I set your drapes on fire. Yeah, it's just, it's a rental. I was completely disrespectful, you know? Yeah. So people stopped wanting to hang out with me because I was a big mess. Yeah, me you know? too. There, I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't That's, leave. Yeah, I was still well, there was the three other days thing. later. That, well, that happened. Andrea, if you're listening, I went to Kansas City to, to get away and I wouldn't leave the yeah. poor girl's house. I stayed in her apartment. I was only going to stay a weekend. I was there like 10 days. She'd go to work. She'd come back. And I'd be sitting there rolling joints in the middle of her living room. And she's like, did you go out today? I'm like, no. <laughs> Just watching TV, ordering pizza, rolling joints. Yeah. You know, it's pathetic. And I don't live like that anymore. You know, right. I don't want to live like that anymore. You know? Yeah. So, you know, sobriety is a gift to me. And it's not, like I said, it hasn't always been happy, joyous, and free. You know, when I was working in Silicon Valley, I wasn't going to meetings either. So I made work my higher power. 
And I blew up a marriage back then Mm -hmm. because, again, I was a workaholic and I didn't even know it. So when that marriage exploded, I knew what to do. I went back to 90 meetings in 90 days and started all over again. So there have been about a, a half a dozen times in my recovery where I have rebooted and done 90 meetings in 90 days like a newcomer, you know. And thank God I didn't have to relapse over yeah. that, you know. But we get to start all over at any point in time. Right, right. You know? Even like if our day is shitty, we can start it That's over. That's right. That's right. But yeah, the whole 90 and 90, like when the only one thing I know for sure is it always works. But I fight it. Well, yeah. You know, I'm like, I don't want to call my sponsor. She's going to tell me to do 90 and 90. That's right. And then I end up just doing it myself and I feel better. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? It's because I'm um, an alcoholic. Well, that's right. because <laughs> I've right. got a disease. Well, yeah. And our disease says, you don't want to do that. That's yeah. a pain. You, like you said, it's cold. It's, it's dark, dark. It's yeah. raining. Yeah. You know, that's our disease just saying, I want to kill you. Yeah. You know, and I heard that the first time in rehab. They said, being in your head is like being in a bad neighborhood at night alone. Yep. And that is like terrifying, right? Because yeah. this disease truly wants me to die, you know? So to be on the other side of wishing I was dead, it's a miracle. Right. You know, that's the joy. That's seeing in color. Exactly. Right? And being able to share it with someone else that's that right. it can be done. That's and right. it's like, it's like uh, I know the spiritual teacher, Ron Doss, who passed away this week, um, it's. I, I know I'm paraphrasing this completely wrong, but it's something about how we're just we're all walking each other back home, that's and right. it's like that just seems like that's what AA is. That's right. Like that's what we're doing. That's right. And again, you know that that's the perfection and the beauty of AA and the program is, and the brilliance of it is that the, they knew the disease wanted to isolate and kill us, so they put us in a room together, right, where we got to tell each other war stories. And then we got to work together to share our experience, strength, and hope. And we picked a sponsor to kind of coach us on this process because so we don't have to be alone and we don't have to do this all by ourselves anymore. Right. I mean, that's the beauty of it. So we, we literally are walking each other through recovery because we all are going to die. I mean, some sooner than others, but hopefully I won't have to die by my own hand. Right. You know, yeah. that's the difference is I don't want to kill myself today. Yeah. You know, I really don't. I mean, I, whether it's cowardly um, or, or it's just this survival instinct, but I honestly want to live. I really want to live today. I couldn't always say that even in recovery. Like I said, there was a time in recovery where I did not want to live today. Yeah. But for today, I truly do. I really want to live. And it isn't for anybody or to do any one thing. It's just, I just want to live today. Yeah. You know? That's huge. It's huge. It really is. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a big middle finger to depression and alcoholism. It is. It really is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. This has been great. I've wanted you to be on Radio Rehab for like forever. I I think this is going to be so helpful to so many people. And like it just it's the promises coming true. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate you and your your generosity and and your bravery for doing a show like this because it, it helps a lot of people. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I want to give the biggest thank you to my guest, Max. Bringing her story and sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us meant so much to me. I can't even tell you how much I learned from it. I'm so glad to be able to share this with you guys. If you'd like to contact us, the number is 415-496-9511. Email radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. 
Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Radio Rehab Dana. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back. 